Hey, DC fans, uh, it's Gary from Baden's Comics. Um, <laughs> I just want to let you know that uh, Burton's Comics is open and ready to serve you in Hamilton, Ontario, uh, down 725 Barton Street East. Um, coming for some deals on the weekend. Thanks. Remember that time where Jason Todd died and somebody else lived, but then somebody else lived and Jason Todd lived and somebody else died, but then somebody else died so Jason Todd could live so he could kill people, and then Jason Todd lived so he could save people, and then it all ended up going into just various amounts of different futures. Well, here's five years later on just the regular course of things in Under the Red Hood, and... Now you can. So this is going to be the more detailed perspective as uh, as last week's uh, insinuated from its regular clip. This is Under the Red Hood, one of my top three favorites. And I, of course, am the Freight Furball himself, the Fluff Waffle Guest. I am the Mize. I am joined by the two-time, two-time commentator of the year in Clowny J. I'm also joined by uh, the gluten-free and uh, here's can be, I guess, is the official catchphrase for that. Or our uh, Oracle of Information. Oracle of Information always works out as well, you know, really rolls off the tongue. I uh, worked for Barbara at the very least. Uh, so, it rolls. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, of course, we are the DC Animated Creature Feature. Feature creatures, of course, uh, that go along various DC Animated Features and review the best and even some of the worst of them. And I certainly hope that we don't have to do Hush again. We'll never do Hush again. We've no. done Hush. Never do Hush again. No. no. Our listeners love our Hush episode. Uh, it's one of our top played episodes. I love y'all for listening to that episode. But why Hush? Tweet me. Tell me why you love that Hush episode so much. It's probably because you guys were arguing the whole time. And refused to start until you made us. Yeah. This is very true. So what's up, folks? How's everybody doing this week? I can't complain. It uh, never does any good, really. But um, things have been looking up. You know, I've been delving into the conclusion of the Joker Wars. Uh, that's just some of the stuff I'm reading. We'll get to that in a bit, though. Um, but, uh, yeah, just picking up comics, uh, doing sketching stuff. You know, the usual my stuff. Perfect. Shauna, how you doing? I'm all right. Yeah, feeling talkative tonight? Yeah, maybe. All right, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Uh, so, what do we want to start it off with tonight, folks? Um, oh, and of course, Rosie the dog <laughs> is in the room. She lifted her head because we did not acknowledge her. So, everyone say, hi, Rosie. Hi, Rosie. Hello, Rosie. Even though you dream with two eyes open of snacks, <laughs> and then somehow just managed to, like, she just puts her head down, and then it's, you can hear the authentic snores coming from her. It's just incredible how any living creature can just go off into dreamland or like sit between <laughs> conscious and unconscious dimensions as Rosie does. It's incredible. Well, what do we want to start off with uh, first this week? I'm totally down for uh, news. You know, I know that uh, nothing like overly huge has been um, going on as of late, but there have been a couple of heavy hitters. Um, so we have here. had some fun news. So Shauna, hit us with some news. Okay, um, Superman and Lois started filming this week for so that, um, I guess it's... The CW series. CW series, yeah. they yeah. started, they had their first day of filming, uh, on Thursday of this week. Everything seems to be coming up, Man of Steel, this time around. DC's, um, looking pretty careful in regards to their preparation for the future state. 
So um, with uh, Superman, uh, his appearance and uh, recent, like, you know, just samples <coughs> of what's to come for the Man of Steel in regards to, like, one-shots before the new event occurs, um, it's looking pretty good, and I'm certainly hoping the TV show turns out the same. Uh, also in television news, uh, Rafi Barrowsman, uh, I apologize because I probably butchered that, uh, has been cast as a once-in-a-generation genius for Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, the role name that they've given him in the news is Bishop. Uh, now, of course, Legends being a time-traveling show, and when you hear the name Bishop, you automatically associate that with the X-Men. So it'll be interesting to see if this is a created character for the show, or if this is just a, a news placement name, uh, such as my speculations on uh, Detective Spooner Cruz and Alien Authority is really going to be Jessica Cruz. Oh, totally. Could Bishop be Simon Baz? Ooh. It's uh, an interesting perspective to look at it as uh, the roots could even go deeper as uh, rather than a name, it's actually a, a title, a placement, and he could be um, one of either the black or white side of a Checkmate. Ooh, be a great, cool. you, we've been waiting to see Blue Beetle introduced. Mm -hmm. We know he's had ties with Checkmate in the past. Yeah, um, whether for good or for, you know, dark universes untold of. Uh, Ted Cord has always been like a strong influence in uh, that style of storytelling and, and like just before Infinite Crisis hit, you know, well, so did the bullet. Maxwell Lord uh, took his appeasing to, you know, shooting Ted in the face and that was uh, the end of an era, really. And also on uh, the Arrow series, uh, the Atom was originally not supposed to be the Atom, it was supposed to be Blue Beetle at one point. It seems to me that would make a lot more sense. Brandon Rouse could uh, play a Ray Palmer. He could also play um, a Ted Cord. I would really like Brandon to see Rouse that. Brandon Rouse could play the shark from Jaws, and I know at least one person in this room would buy a ticket. Brandon Rouse mm -hmm. could play a rock, and as long as he said, yo, every morning as I pass by him, then you know what? I'm sold. I'd pay to see that multiple times. Uh, what else we got in news this week? Um... Amber Heard is reportedly back to reprise her role as Mira in Aquaman 2. Cool. Now she can get paid to beat guys up. <laughs> uh, speaking of people returning, there's names after names returning for uh, the Zack Snyder... Quit calling it a recut. We cannot call this film a recut anymore. This is an entirely new film. At this point. A brand new feature. Because now Jarrett Leto's Joker and it, it appears Joe Mangiello's Deathstroke are both going to be appearing in this as well. So for the Joker, you could even at this point uh, rearrange his appearance, make it a whole lot better, give him the proper dialogue he's uh, supposed to be given, and just continue on and develop your villain base from that. And uh, still utilize, you know, the story that you have planned for us currently for the Justice League. Uh, the new cut version, whatever you'd like to call it. Now, there is a popular fan theory starting to uh, surface that the Jarrett Leto Joker is not the traditional Joker or Jokers, as it were, that we know. Uh, that perhaps it's even Jason Todd, and that's why that uh, specific Robin suit is still hung up in the Batcave. See, that's what allured me to that style of the Joker when it was originally uh, announced and then we were given like a little screenshots and photos of it and 
I tended to agree with a lot of what was going on in regard to that theory. And then we were given uh, Suicide Squad. Yeah, well, that sucked. <laughs> Definitely. I'd cer- I'm certainly having higher hopes for uh, the newer Suicide Squad coming out, of course, and still like a huge fan of the books and jazz. So... Yeah, the Entertainment Weekly covers just came out for that. I'm not sure if you had a chance to see those online. Uh, but by far, this is the most panel accurate Harley Quinn has looked yet. I think so, yeah. Oh, that's nice. You know, it's uh, good that they're not, you know, trying too hard weather this time around and then fo- rather focusing on the entire team. You know, like, like they should. You don't need a slow motion Will Smith yelling every movie. Uh, also, of course, Joe Mangiello looks like he's returning to play Deathstroke. Which is super exciting. Um, I love seeing uh, Deathstroke and almost any rendition that he's been given to us in so far. I think, say for one, uh, all of them have been just fantastic. Even even the Michael Chiklis one, you know. Uh, I'm warming up to, you know, having like a bite-sized version of Deathstroke just gritty and telling us to get the hell off its grass. Next up in the news. Um, Three years ago today, as of like Friday, while we're filming or recording recording this, uh, Clark Kent uh, asked uh, Lois Lane to marry him 30 years ago today. Oh, wow. In Superman's number 50. Oh. Well, that's a 30-year wedding anniversary. So congrats to them for sticking together for so long. I had huge congrats to Lois for somehow managing to survive every single aspect of it. And, um, you know, we're just going to be getting more, like, you know, awesome stuff in, like, projects to come, such as the Superman and Lois uh, TV show, mm-hmm. Future Man of Steel arcs, and who knows what Future State has in store for us in regards to uh, Kal-El. Well, we know from uh, solicitations that in Future State, it's going to be Jonathan Kent. Yeah. Oh, well, see, that's that's nice. They've been doing a lot of good with Jonathan as of late in uh, Superman's current runs, his, um, shall we say, outside of the normal style of uh, arcs and the likes of Deceased, and his presence is just welcomed everywhere. He seems to be just a great addition, a, a colorful character to add into the scenery, pretty much whatever he's been put in. Also in the news, um, the new Batwoman will make her uh, DC comic debut in next week's Batgirl number fifty. Now that will be the Joker War tie-in. So yeah, uh, Ryan Wilder will be making her panel debut before making her on-screen debut. I'm gonna make sure to check this bad boy out, and um, yeah, I'll uh, let you give it a read over afterwards. Or I'm, I'm fairly certain I have, I do have a. All the Batgirls from the uh, Joker War arc. That arc's been absolutely fantastic. It still gives us, a, you know, the usual Bat Family ending to it, but the colorful tie-ins and uh, the efforts made towards it. Things are cut pretty close, and uh, things are done pretty, um, you know, uh, shady as usual. Uh, it's Joker. What do you expect? Well, um, speaking of Joker, this week uh, upcoming, uh, Joker War number 3 comes out. It is the end of, not Joker, we're sorry, the end of the three Jokers. Yes, that is true. Uh, if uh, you guys hadn't gone and picked out the, picked out these books yet, um, I would definitely go ahead and just grab, like, the individual three as opposed to waiting for, like, a hardcover trade paperback <laughs> to come out. 
because then you have the opportunity to, yeah, it's extra money, but you have the opportunity to collect different covers. Um, I'm fairly certain there's all manner of um, various like legendary Joker references in there from the fish uh, to uh, let's see, just the red hood, uh, just pretty much generic Joker appearances. So it's a lot of fun collector wise, but more importantly, it's a fantastic read. I really uh, thoroughly enjoyed the clown shark myself. Of course. You oh did. my God. Like clowns and sharks. You gotta, you gotta grab this book. Uh, also, uh, in the news, this is one that I didn't write down because I wanted to get genuine reactions out of the both of you for this. I'm totally game. Uh, so the, Warner Brothers has put out a statement about they are filming uh, Space Jam 2 with LeBron James, I believe it is. And one of the characters mentioned in the write-up is the Joker. They're oh, saying God. that all of Warner Brothers characters will be appearing in this. Like an entire Warner Brothers multiverse. And that does include the DC characters, and Joker is specifically mentioned. So they're not limiting themselves to Looney Tunes. They are not, no. They're opening themselves up to their entire library of characters. I guess because it's, like, supposedly aliens, right? So they can have anybody... Aliens, and they're in they're introducing their own Warner Brothers multiverse. Yeah. Listen, whoever's in charge of this project, if you want to take my advice on this, you should totally have a segment where we get a cross-up between uh, Vigilante and Yosemite Sam, and then they accidentally swap. <laughs> and then we get a string of, like, Justice League of America or Justice League Odyssey reruns. Or even just a new team in general. But the one member is just Yosemite Sam. So all of these characters are newer descendant renditions with like um, a higher power or uh, a new look or uh, just a really mysterious introduction wise. And then Yosemite fucking Sam. It's just, I'm a from a tarnation, just bang, 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 shooting things with they six shooters. They took his guns away from him. Well, how is he supposed to bing, 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 bing? They took the, his away and um, Elmer, Elmer Fudd's guns away. Because children were, are apparently going to shoot people because Elmer, Elmer Fudd oh. shoots people. Well, then it's a good thing they took their guns away you know, right? like a, almost a century ago. <laughs> That's wild stuff. Um I'm really excited for this, though. Uh, there does put a lot of, like, serious potential in regards to uh, how they can progress with this project and utilize one of the top stars in basketball history. So I'm not interested in Space Jam 2. And just the overall need for Space Jam okay, 2, I agree geez. with you on that. There's really no need for a second one but it's kind uh, of interested though. it's a fun yeah it's a fun excess of uh, you know progressing on with a story that's fine as how it was like god knows how many years ago um it's happened with other movies and yeah their remakes have just kind of ruined certain points for us other ones are really good but it's all in the mystery i guess oh no see how things progress and uh when a trailer drops, we'll see who we can spot in it. I'm totally down to pick out names for there. If they do solely stick to the Looney Tunes still, I'm I'm not going to be mad about it. Um, they're generically well-recognized characters, so and superheroes get a lot of animated jazz themselves, so why not give these guys a go again? The Warner Brothers and their sister Dot better be in it. I'd like to see the Tiny Tunes make an uh, yes. appearance. Yes. Pinky and the Brain. Thank you in the brain. 
Well, let's uh, keep moving along here. Uh, we brought up a lot of different books. Do we want to talk about the ones that we picked up this week and uh, what's going on in the world of comics? Totally down for that. Uh, what did you grab this time around? Well, of course, uh, we started catching up on books. Uh, you know, Justice League, uh, catching up on what's going on with the Dark Knight's metal story arc. Uh, I know Shauna finally found a uh, copy of Volume 1 for the Umbrella Academy, which it's actually you just finished really tonight. S- it's good. It's good. And does it differ a lot from the TV show? Um, there's slight differences, but pretty much so far... A lot, of character appearances, uh, a lot of character appearances, like the key difference in uh, the comic series in comparison to the TV arc, but uh, still relative personifications, more or less. So it's an exciting comparison and an exciting difference, really, so it matches up really well. In, in this one, Diego is more um, gothy than um, uh, Klaus. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, closely portrays a very over the top. Yeah, it's very true. It's he's either junky or eccentric. Yeah. I don't even think there's a gray area for him. Uh, and of course, we started pulling our DC. Uh, uh, one of the DC's tie-in books, not Unkillables, but the one that's going on right now, uh, uh, Dead Planet. Yeah. Yeah, we started getting uh, Burton's comics over at Seven Two Five Barton to uh, pull those for us. Yeah, Gary's got a plentiful of uh, great titles. So again, you're in the Hamilton area. You need some. You need some singles. You got to fix them for some good story. Head on down to Gary's at the seven two five down on Barton Street East and uh, grab yourself a few books. Say hi to Bobby. And hey, every time, uh, sorry, every twenty dollars you spend, excuse me, uh, you get your name uh, put into a raffle. And every couple of weeks, Gary draws a winning name from that. You go into the store to browse for your books again. Maybe you see your name up on the wall. Grab yourself a you know a free book or a, just a like dice or something like that. Um, whatever he happens to have available for you, he has a plentiful of anything and everything a nerd can come up with uh, for his collection or for a fun read. What I think, Sandy, is you can actually tweet him uh, on Twitter, or you can get a hold of him through various social media means. Uh, a few days before new release day, be like, "Hey, here's my books for the week. Can you pull those for me?" To guarantee that if those books are coming in uh, with that shipment, those books will be there for you. Which I can't wait for. I'm still waiting on um, being able to finish up Suicide Squad. It's a very short run for them. But it's still an exciting tale of what they've been progressing with. And uh, I actually have a feeling that some of what they have going on could also be um, familiarized with the future state art coming up in the new year. Also, how easy was it for him to order the books that you were missing to complete your run? Fairly simple, you know. He checked in on the order for uh, when the books were coming. Uh, Everybody goes through distribution issues or sometimes uh, they just sell out quickly and I have to wait for additional copies. It's not a big deal. Either which way, I got a reliable source I can get my comics from. And speaking of, uh, you know, uh, books that had delays because of issues, we did pick up Speed Metal finally. Oh, baby, what a read that was. What a fantastic adventure involving uh, the best and um, the the primary speedsters, I guess I should say, uh, that have been just almost uh, detrimental to the existence of the DC Universe to have around. There's been so so much different powers, uh, so many different forces, uh, new names, old names, and uh, just a lot of twists and turns for the Flash's story arcs. 
it has just been a fantastic time catching up with all the flashes in one place. And so uh, definitely grab yourself a copy of this. It is going to be a fantastic run. And some very meta commentary on Flash as well between uh, Barry and Wally about uh, the spotlight of the Flash itself. Definitely. Um, going back into the likes of uh, the Flash War, um, Wally coming back, uh, getting the power of Dr. Manhattan and... Uh, I cannot remember the name of the arc. Right oh, the I'm talking even head. an older school cut than that about how uh, when Wally took on the mantle being the prime Flash, when Barry came back, all that spotlight that DC put on Wally was shifted to one side. It kind of sort of was because Barry came in running away as opposed to just plain running. Um, so during Final Crisis, when Barry was actually pulled back and there were two Flashes running away from this weird... Uh, I guess night on skis kind of looking thing, uh, kind of like a, kind of like a black flash, but again on ski equipment, and uh, they were just going haywire after these speedsters. But yeah, that was uh, the official return of Perry Allen, I guess. Um, and then they started off with that uh, six issue rebirth, um, like short series like just after the crisis it was a lot of fun to read that as well but as soon as he came back dc's like okay wally we're done playing with you as our main flash and they relegated him back to kid flash so that moment where wally says to him you know i've always been in your shadow and when you came back that happened again that definitely uh, pushed a few buttons, especially in regards to the influence that Solomon Hunter or Hunter Solomon or however they're wanting to say his name nowadays. Uh, he's been leading some awkward, awkward direction in the life of um, Barry Allen and Wally West. So with uh, all the forces shifting around and Perpetua being uh, actually a huge reference in regards to uh, the Flash series and uh, just their connection to various forces. Um, because to a lot Oops. of people, Wally West was their Flash. Yeah, he was and my Flash. He was uh, he was the dude to have at the time. You know, we had a change in Green Lantern names as well, like multiple different ones, and you know, people got along fine. The comics were still well written. There was nothing wrong with it. People had preferences to who they prefer as the Green Lantern. I'm sure people have preferences to who they prefer as the Flash, but. Um, yeah, as Jay mentioned, though, it was just the Flash. They couldn't have, like, what Green Lantern has going on and have, like, Wally, the Flash, as part of the Titans and Barry as Flash, a part of the Justice League. It throws people off because they're like, how is the Flash fighting villains two places at once? It's He's that fast. He's that fast. That's got to scare even Eobard Thawne if you, well, he'd probably just time travel to figure out what was going on. So that moves us over into Collector's Corner. Now, we did something kind of cool for Collector's Corner this week. Is uh, I went and picked up a few of the new DC Spin Master 4-inch figures. Yeah, those things are pretty nifty. I picked up a couple of two-packs. I got the Superman and Darkseid two-pack, as well as Black Manta and Aquaman. Uh, now, I've got a few of these figures at home already. I've got uh, Batwoman and Shazam at home. But what we decided to do is I picked up a Tim Drake, a Damian Wayne Robin, and a first time in the lot in series, in figure form really, a four-inch Talon from the Court of Owls. And we all decided to open them up and check things out. So uh, these uh, these tiny figures came with, uh, you know, um, 
multiple loot boxes of uh, just generic accessories amongst the various heroes and villains. So you can, of course, mix and match their articulation and their form of weaponry, um, their stances and all that jazz. And they seem to come in uh, different colors. I imagine that's uh, like a means of telling rarity of the items. Uh, I would guess. I would have to look that up more. Uh, I did see on one of the packages that keep your eyes out for the black, yeah, the super rare bat gear. Which, which I can pass that the... to there. So you got super rare bat gear here, and uh, this is these are various uh, armor pieces uh, to go along um, Batman or the likes of which a similar figure bit is built. And uh, you can build this really uh, nice set, like armor setup, over top of his suit, and it looks totally badass. Uh, if you happen to pick up any of these figures, um, or any of your friends or whoever happened to pick these up as well, see if um, they can tell you anything about it as well, or they can show you uh, the collection of things that come with them. Um, or Spin Master, hey, if you guys are listening to this, send some more figures our way. We'll be more than happy to review the whole line. Definitely. There is a wide selection of characters for this figure line here. Uh, from, you know, the likes of Batman to Robin, of course. Uh, the, the more obscure names, you know, such as like a Bronze Tiger, um, Talon even. Um, you get the likes of Firefly. Um, wow, two different Fireflies. Yeah, they each of them come with uh, various colors and various types of equipment with them. There's... I've seen online as well. There's uh, guys like King Shark, Man Bats, Wonder Woman, John Stewart, uh, Lex Luthor. So There's they tons. probably tested things out with a Batman line and then continued on stretching out into other heroes. Yeah, uh, there was the all kinds universe. of people. It's a uh, very interesting. Uh, even the backside of it's really cool. You know, there's uh, it just shows different environments. And, uh, again, you know, the side with uh, all the different characters with the different kinds of equipments, the various rarities of figures you can get. And uh, there's even a legend in regards to uh, just, uh, like, color schemes. It's pretty impressive stuff. So um, definitely grab, like, even a Batman one just to set up by the TV or something like that. Have this look down, you know, check out the accessories. And the way you pop them open, too, it's like you're pulling out file drawers. It's really cool. It's that easy-to-tear cardboard-style uh, feel. And then when you open that up, there's a little fight scene going on between the various characters, including the one that you happen to pull as a figure, which I find is uh, really cool. It uh, really uh, helps push the character's strength and uh, happens to just uh, exaggerate their image. Uh, and as we all know, it images everything. Well, that's what I've got for Collector's Corner. Mize, did you pick up anything cool at all this week? Well, we're just going a bit back there in regards to, um, well, I guess collection or uh you know comics wise uh, i'm still keeping up as best i can in regards to the joker war um the comic you mentioned earlier on batgirl number 50 will be like a supersized final issue of uh, that current run of her uh they did the same thing with nightwing recently as well and um, they had a i think it was like 75 and it ended up uh, with him you know he has his memory back. He doesn't want to be Nightwing anymore to pursue true love, but and he's convinced to be Nightwing, pursue true love, and fight crime anyway. And uh, let's just say uh, the end of that issue comes down to doing a complete 180 with what they were doing with uh, Nightwing in um, Batman when he got shot in the head, as it were. Now, where does Joker War fit in continuity-wise? 
Uh, does this is... go before like any of the Dark Knight stuff, or I would have to assume that once Death Metal concludes, it'll conclude with some miraculous tale of how the heroes succeed over evil with um, all their myths and their science and their holy cow everything's a different Batman and we can just imagine up evil versions of universes and that be it and then it could be you know Joker War is what goes on I guess afterwards um, just explaining like a, a future fight introducing new characters um, you know defending Gotham as specific names until the time frame where uh, again the future state arc begins who knows where they're going with that? Um, I'd like to think that it's, you know, just prime continuity Earth, and that's the case, you know? Death Metal runs its course, and the Joker War happens after. That's the best um, That's the best I can give it. On, I was going to say, and three Jokers? Three Jokers it has to be... It has to be its own thing. Um, either that, or if it's the same continuity as it, I would have to assume that it's another one of those ones that happens at that time as well. There's so much Joker activity because of the interactions with various multiverses and dark multiverses. Well, negative ones, I guess, uh, as I recently seen there, uh, the numeric statement of um, like various earths in the dark multiverse are starting off with a negative. So like negative earth 44 is whatever Batman's universe. I think that's really cool. Um, that's all I can chalk it up to is just DC's doing with the multiverse like almost exactly the same as what the X-Men do to the timeline. And uh, only they seem to be handling it a lot better like creatively. Instead of just saying, you know what, fuck it, let's put everybody, enemy and ally alike, just on the same fucking island and just be done with it. Whereas these guys are like, okay, we have a story, we have a Batman story for this scenario going to this and coming off of this and being able to proceed in a multitude of directions. I really enjoy it. No, it'll be really fun to see if at the end of all three of these uh, simultaneous Joker arcs is if we see it's just Dr. Manhattan and it's three different universes that he's fucked with. That'd be hilarious. See, that would be totally awesome, but they already had um, cut open Dr. Manhattan's head. And, and put Joker's brain into the bot or the one who laughed, put, yeah. Yeah, they put the Batman who laughs brain just in a rando body that could be radioactive, and just, they plugged it in, and I guess it worked. They pushed the on button, and they're like, oh, all right. Well, things are good, you know? As long as there's uh, power coming out the outlet, it's good to go. No, that's not how it works. You can't just put a brain in there and hope it works. That's madness. Madness, I say. And it worked. Of course it of course it worked. It's a it's an experiment run by Batman. And Alfred. There's so many Alfred. But even still, you, one dies and is catastrophic. It's like almost a crisis on its own. And with that, we're going to take our first commercial break and we will come back to you with our review of Batman Under the Red Hood. Do you want your ad here? Talk about anything you want. Your comic podcast, album coming out. Do you have a YouTube channel you wish to promote? Hit us up at Twitter 
at Mize1987 or at ClownyJ and ask about putting your ad on the DC Animated Review podcast. Alright, and we are back for our review of Under the Red Hood. Uh, now, of course, last week we did do Batman Death in the Family. Uh, pretty much showing you the multiverse of choices when it regards to this. Uh, this is basically what happens if you click on just Jason Todd dies and uh, you got Bruce telling the story to Clark. This is that story. The only difference is, though, this time around it's going to be longer and it's going to be better because we get the detail, the dialogue, and just uh, to be able to emphasize and really feel for the situations that are going on around us in regards to uh, Jason Todd's newly found presence in Gotham City. Now, before we get into it, what did you think of the overall voice cast for this, uh, especially Neil Patrick Harris as Nightwing? I didn't really care for the whole uh, Nightwing bit. I mean, it was great that he was there and that he got included, but he seemed very like opening tutorial to a video uh, for a video game character uh, kind of feel. Um, still, overall, just as Batman said in um, Death in the Family, in case you hadn't seen it yet, just going over his generic as a overall generic intense otherwise appreciation for dick grayson and it really shows in this feature film um just the way he interacts with bruce the way he can read him regardless of what his answers are and uh, just great character development and teamwork in this movie going up against uh, such a new face in gotham as well as at the time uh, the most well-established criminal mastermind um that would be the black mask all right well let's get into it uh, the film opens up as a nice shot on the on uh, one of the manners of one Rachel Ghoul. He seems to be in a bit of turmoil because of uh, something he may have done that may insinuate regret, which Rosal Ghoul is rather synonymous for. But it seems this time around, it really took to the fields for him. Um, he's uh, being given information that in regards to the whereabouts of somewhere of someone in particular and also someone referenced as the boy. And we of course immediately know where this is going. Yeah. We do see Batman driving through the snowy tundra uh, shots of Robin having Joker in that warehouse. And Oh boy, this looks familiar. I can't tell if it's a warehouse or if it's a bar. <laughs> Crowbar. <laughs> and you grounded me for my crowbar joke last week. Absolutely, but now it calls for it because there's context behind the beaten. And plus, oh, was just criminal. You know what? Extra I, green beans for you this week. Uh-huh. I'll accept this. I'll accept my punishment. The crime fits the punishment. Or whichever way it goes. Alright, well, hey, uh, Raish is confessing uh, everything about his end do it to one of his guards. Uh, possibly even a version of Ubu. Uh, the guy that was standing there with uh, the pad in his hand, right? Like, yeah. Getting the there. Yeah, that would be one way of looking at it, you know. Uh, unless he has like various Ubu for various estates that he may have, because this is clearly different than the usual like Nana Parbat location. That, oh, definitely. Uh, we know well. So uh, there could be a huge difference. This could be a period when there was no Ubu for Ra's al Ghul. <laughs> he was trying to just pick up his own Alfred. Yeah. Um. So, uh, 
from there, uh, Batman's riding along there, and uh, finally things that are coming up to um, close in regards to the beating with a crowbar. And Joker happens to just cut the most fantastic dialogue, like all movie. Like, John DiMaggio is a fantastic Joker for this film, and uh, just his lines all in all, have been nothing but gold the entirety of the way there. So this is what makes it one of my favorite um, Batman installments or and DC animated installments, um, just because of the intensity and the relativity to the Joker character. That's not Mark Hamill, which is huge beans, really. Uh, so, yeah, he's uh, just giving him the old what for, the old parent talk, just to fuck with his head, and then... Uh, he just tells Robin to say hi to Batman for him in the most, like, devious way the Joker can. Like, not even being humorous in that fashion. Like, you can hear, like, a new, dark, grit company <coughs> Joker in regards to that. So, that could be some ominous foreboding in regards to the events that are about to take place that we all know. Yeah, and, uh, you know, as this uh, Joker walks away and closes the door, we do see the clicking clock of the timer. Three, two, one, kablooey, and we have credits. It just uh, opens up so fantastically. Like, uh, they played out Robin's, like, you know, daring capability to stay conscious after a thorough God knows how long of a beating from a psychopath with a crowbar. And who's also screaming, how does this one hurt or does this one hurt while he's hitting oh, yeah, and, like and, different parts of the child's body? And, and the pure arrogance of the child, too, to not even give in to the Joker, right? to smile at him, to spit blood at him. Well, that was rude. The first, <laughs> the first boy wonder had some manners. manners. And he's all like, he wants to take responsibility for his actions. He wants to teach him a lesson that will help him better follow in other footsteps, as it were. But instead he decides to just continue beating him up. And again, he's left for dead. The door's locked. The timer's down. Batman doesn't make it on time. And thus the giant explosion just myrtleates Jason Todd. And, you know, after a long, long, long credit sequence. Oh, yeah, that was. was It's like, Jesus Christ, did you put the entire end credits at the beginning? And you just saved it. If you were going to save this much time, you would have at least put an after credit scene there for us. Yeah. Like, come on, man. But after all this, uh, we cut straight into a gang lord meeting. Uh, Looks like a bunch of bosses from different gangs are all trying to figure out who called this party. Absolutely. That's a nice cut uh, bird's eye view of Gotham going into a, a shitty warehouse where all these bastards are kicking around there. And uh, they're all like, well, let's uh, get your meeting started. And they're like, whoa there, it's not my meeting, but I was told you set this up. I was told they set this up. And all the questions uh, regarding that one minute span were answered as a mysterious figure in a red helmet shows up and he's uh, letting them know what's up, really. Yeah, he uh, shoots up a really nice looking table. Yeah. He does. Like, that was a great table in a shitty warehouse. I mean, unfortunate circumstances. Uh, and let them all know, yo, uh, I don't care who you worked for beforehand. You all work for me now. You're going to kick me 40% of your business, which is, you know, for being a crime boss like that, that's a pretty generous offer. <laughs> you keep 60, I'll only take 40. 
and I'll offer you complete protection over the Black Mask and the Batman. This guy's assuring that he can kick the shit out of one weirdo in a mask and kill another. Um, so far, uh, in this guy's, you know, brief appearance, he's managing to do all that he's promised and go above and beyond expectations, more or less. When he shows proof of his valor and promise by dropping a pretty much sack of heads. Yeah, a big duffel bag full of the heads of all of their lieutenants. Uh, he did that in two hours. Uh, imagine what he could do with an entire evening. Now, that's right. the wildest thing to happen in that meeting. Um, like, shortly after the whole, hey, you want to die, there's easier ways to kill yourself. Yeah, like yelling at the guy holding the AK-47. <laughs> that was beautiful. That takes the top-notch part of that uh, scene, like, uh, yeah. that environment, that scene overall. And followed up by this, it's been a fantastic interaction, establishing the seriousness of the Red Hood's presence, um, his ferocity, um, just the overall villainy that uh, he has planned, that he has organized. He's considerate and has a great sense of moral, like to keep it away from kids still. So that's how you can tell there's still that sense of justice, that level of humanity inside Jason Todd. But the rest of it, though, it's all going to be profit and control, which is pretty much what Gotham's been about since day one. And, they're, you know, you can't just fix something that just ain't broke. That's right. He does uh, specify, do not deal your drugs to kids or this bag of heads will have you in it, too. Before we cut over to the Gotham shipping yard, uh, where some thugs are stealing themselves a, uh, a cube van. They are. They are driving rather frantically as well, which uh, can mean one of two things. The cops are on your tail. Something worse than the cops is on your tail. And I gotta tell you, I didn't see any sirens, so I can only assume that uh, something was coming for them in the form of Batman. That's right, it was the goddamn Batman, and uh, he hunts them down, you know, ripping one out of the passenger window, and uh, do, doing his overall bat assault thing. He broke some dude's fingers. Yeah, broke some fingers, uh, but a box of cargo falls out during this pursuit. Uh, Batman, with the aid of Nightwing... Yeah, he, he happens to step in and... Uh... Like, just the blink of an eye, you know? Uh, one minute, Batman's, like, cutting jazzy lines, like, you know, you're anything but good. You know, just, he manages to hear what they're talking about while the truck is driving, while the wind is blowing at, like, a high speed. He's just badass. But when you got this, like, ten-fucking-foot-tall robot that has the powers of maybe yeah, seven well, or eight uh, Justice League members. Which was that what the cargo was. It uh, boots up, and it turns out it is the Amazobot... A toaster on steroids, apparently. That's what one of them said. Yeah. A super-powered advanced android capable of mimicking the powers of metahumans. What kind of metahumans? Big ones. Now, Amazo doesn't get respect. Uh, they flat out say he's got the powers of the whole fucking Justice League. But here... Batman and Nightwing are able to take him out, spoiler alert. And over in live action, he's just kind of thrown in as a before credit scene as Flash, Supergirl, and Green Arrow take him out by themselves. Yup. There have 
clearly been multiple Amazos beforehand, so why the fuck was only one being shipped? Uh, I, I would love to see Amazo become a deadlier threat in the DC universe. He yeah. should have been a deadlier threat. Like, um, he and Omak should have become a thing, and now that's a means to go up against the metahumans. That would have fit the crisis a lot more, um, a lot more well. Uh, even for the, even for the, like, dark multiverse, uh, story with Ted Cord, that would have been fantastic still. Well, uh, over, uh, back in the film, the, one of the thugs wasn't sure who Nightwing was, so the other one pretty much gives him Nightwing's entire backstory and all the exposition you need on him in one sentence. That's Nightwing, the bat's old, the bat's old, uh, sidekick. He was the first Robin. Well, of it's no wonder why Black Mask is running the criminal underground for Gotham, as it were. Um, or, at the very least, as so he thought, is because everybody seems to be well-educated and knowledged in regards to association and identity in the social circle that is good versus evil. Um, so, having that kind of knowledge is, you know, top-notch grunt work. Like, these aren't just normal goons and jazz. It, they're, like, top priority. You want to stop these guys. Um, they are just as dangerous as any C-lister in a lab coat, so just because they're a little ignorant of minor details, you know, doesn't mean they weren't bigger things, like, to begin with. You know, this is just like a paid gig that they thought they could get away easy with. Oh, yeah, easily. If these three guys had their own flashy costumes, they'd uh, have themselves a fan base. Uh, however, Batman and Nightwing are able to team up using some old Batman and Robin moves uh, and plastique out... Amazo's eyes before stopping them. Like they were going at him nonstop. They were pulling out all their dynamic duo bullshit from the martial arts to the explosives to the anatomical weaknesses and even having the handicap of going two on one. This is a man who can punch out metahuman villains and his sidekick is near capable of just the same, only he has a stronger suit in gymnastics and athletics. So this was a huge fight going into the movie. It established a familiar sense of teamwork, especially since the movie is based around the history of Batman and Robin. Uh, now, the two of them together start using the uh, broken body of Amazo to interrogate these thugs when uh, bop, 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 all three of them are assassinated. All because they said the secret word, or words for that matter. They mentioned they were working for a guy named the Red Hood. And then, blam, their brains are blown out. Uh, Batman and Nightwing, of course, uh, take two different sides. They scout. They see the shooter. Uh, so Batman calls for the Batwing to chase after him, leaving Nightwing by himself with these dead bodies. I just want to go over, like, probably the greatest dialogue of this film was uh, made just recently to uh, this discovery by Nightwing. Look. Fire came from over there. A sniper. No shit. Who else is going to shoot? Somebody's going to take an Uzi and stand a thousand feet away with it. <laughs> That's a hilarious concept right there. Of course it's going to be a goddamn sniper. But, uh, yeah, uh, all said and done from there, um, the hood starts making his getaway, but Batman's not having any of that because he's got all the coolest toys to get him ahead in the game. Yeah, you know, he first chases Red Hood as he's on the rooftop. Red Hood then jumps into an old blue car. Uh, Batman rips the roof off of it. Uh, Red Hood drives the car into a tunnel. Uh, apparently the Batwings 
the wings of the plane itself can uh, get closer to the plane without it affecting its flight somehow. Man, it's a grand variety. Like, just the overall action and um, weird signs put into this uh, feature. The creativity is just limitless. Uh, well, from there, the entire chase scene brings us into Ace Chemicals. Ah, oh, memories. Uh, Bruce starts to look around, you know? He's on the hunt for the Red Hood. He believes him to be in the same general vicinity as him. Just walking the, walking the corridors, the hanging corridors there. And uh, he just has, you know, just soft visual flashbacks of what went down so many years ago the last time he was in the same area he was currently walking through. Yeah, he gets uh, visions of the original, or well, not the original, but his original Red Hood uh, tripping on the cape and falling into the Red Vat, apparently. Yeah, that was a, that was a weird change of colors. I'm not sure why they switched up the color scheme for it, but... Maybe to go with the whole Red Hood motif of the film? Probably. Also because they were utilizing the lasers that... Yeah. Had to change up the colors so people didn't get confused. Well, not so much as confused as, you know, oh, it's the same color as this. Well, then people are going to start tying things together that just aren't real, and... Exactly, they'd get confused. Really? Yeah, that's a good, I guess that's a good way of putting it. Y'all are confused as fuck. Don't worry, I'm confused as fuck too. It's alright. Uh, well, from there, he does get his altercation with the Red Hood. Uh, a brief one. Um, you didn't get too long to be able to go up against him as, uh, you know, the Red Hood pulled some snidely shit and blew up the car that was parked so irresponsibly down to spilling chemicals and kablooey. Yeah, Ace Chemicals does start going up in a blaze. Yeah, he, 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 I guess he blew it up just so that way he could cover his escape. Like, he could probably had a way out, but he needed a means to kind of throw something in the Batman's way so he wouldn't catch up. Batman has a knack for catching up, and every second uh, available is considered a head start going up against the Dark Knight. Well, we do cut back to the Batcave, where we do see that there has been multiple Red Hoods in the past. Absolutely. They went over the file for it um, because they assumed that it could be the Joker, but it just doesn't fit his method of operation. And there seems to be an organized plot to it as um, trafficking uh, of various substances and materials has gone up, but overall crime rate has gone down. So it's really more or less trafficking that's going down, and that's primary business for um, a lot of Gotham's criminal underworld. Well, they do decide to go check out uh, with the main Red Hood himself uh, over at Arkham. Uh, there's a nice little Batman 66 reference here where they come through the bushes and the little construction thing moves out of the way when they're leaving the Batcave in the Batmobile. You know what? I didn't think I, I didn't, didn't think of it like that. that. Because you notice the Batmobile from the 66 series, it goes so fast by there. You only see it as an awkward color scheme at, you know, at such a young age cuz you're like, "Whoa, the Batmobile is so friggin' fast." Um, yeah, it comes out of the bushes and that little traffic construction thing moves out of the way for it just like, and it 
they had a version of that happen when the Batmobile was coming out of the cave here. That's a really nice uh, touch there. I really appreciate that. I did not know about that. It's always fun learning new things in regards to these movies. Uh, well, we do start getting a look deep inside Arkham. Uh, you know, we got guards upon guards upon guards on this one. Well, what are all the guards for? Well, it is for the man himself. We have the Joker. And, uh, you know, he's getting a little personal with Batman and Robin. Yeah, it's, uh, it's never a good thing when Batman and the Joker are alone together in a room. It's even worse when there's, you know, any form of sidekick there so we can make an example of him as a Batman would. But Joker, he starts things off real nice and casual and he's like, you look good. Use a little more sun though. But then again, who am I to tell? Like, that is just fucking gold. The man is white as a ghost. The man is just cut bleach white. And here he is making these cosmetic, um, you know, jokes and puns and everything like that. Just as a form of greeting to open up the scene. That is the icebreaker. And it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, he also uh, makes his, cracks his joke about uh, he brought more class to the Red Hood gimmick. Uh, when he did it, it was more Mater D than uh, motorcycle fetish. I even wrote that down too there, like classy Mater D as well. So, you know what, take that everyone else who's classless, because clearly this is a man who went in there not only wearing that fine purple suit, whether it be lavender, fuchsia, whatever the purple, whatever the occasion, he always comes in styling. But what's more important than that acid squirting flower, what's more important than those sick loafers, I'll tell you what, that's his tie clip. You may not be able to see it, but it's there. It is the super powered, super fresh, and overall item that will grant you immortality, invincibility, and the superpower to win no matter what, so you like Squirrel Girl out of everything. That's right, I made that a reference. Because that's a reference, apparently. And that's how Squirrel Girl wins, is just by being Squirrel Girl. And that's what the Joker does in this case, because he's so classy, he wears a Luthor Core tie clip. Or Lex Core tie clip. I don't know why I keep saying Luthor Core for it. It just seems a little more establishing that way. You know, Lex is just a for short form of the first name, but regardless, uh, Ty Clip is classy as fuck, and that's classy Mater D classy as fuck right there. That's Trey Class A. Trey Class A. Indeed. Well, did you happen to notice Joker's inmate number on his suit? Yeah. Uh, I did not pay attention to the inmate uh, the Joker's number. inmate number on his suit, uh, you get a, cl a clearer shot of it later, but you do see it here. His, he is inmate number 11940. The reason this is important is he debuted in Batman issue number one in 1940. That's uh, that is fantastic. Um, I'm surprised I didn't pay attention to that part there. Uh, again, it's how they've been handling these interactions with the Joker. That's really, it, it captivates me so much. You know, that, that seems to be what keeps me from noticing any of these other parts of the environment, any of these little notches and uh, pokes and prods at various parts of the DC universe. Uh, well, let's jump back through it. Uh, we do get over to a Black Mask meeting. Yeah, and this Black Mask meeting here going on, um, 
there's a new guy being introduced. Uh, this is this is our first like you know just kind of sightseeing. Uh, just the overall tour this is our first time going through the headquarters that of the most successful criminal currently in Gotham City during this feature is uh, the Black Mask, and he's got a swank set up, and he's got his guys showing the new guys the ropes and everything, just giving them tips. Um, and it's uh, it's a little jarring the first time you see him. Absolutely, but you know, it's a first day on the job thing. I'm sure everybody gets intimidated by their boss when his face looks like a you know, I guess, cooled down magma. Would probably be the best way to do it there. Um, so uh, just going over things uh, he was just kind of recommending him to do and all that. Uh, the primary recommendation was to just not stare. He's got a thing when people stares, and it's, well, unsettling to him, just as his appearance is to everyone else. Um, good news, though. He's pissed. Yeah, it's always good news when Black Mask is in a bad mood. Yeah. Earlier on, during the transgressions of uh, the uh, Mezo heist, um, things did not bode well. There was a lot of money lost out on, and uh, completely foiled, um, you know, delivery to be had. So, of course, Black Mask being, you know, head honcho of this entire operation, uh, probably even the funding for it as well, you know, his guys, his equipment, his money, um, it's just poof. People are trying to steal it. People from other gangs are trying to steal it because this guy that came out of nowhere is trying to take his turf, and that's going to send him, that's going to send him into space. That man's going to have kittens, I'll tell you what. Yeah, well, as he's going on, uh, his black maskish rant we do see that batman has bugged underneath his desk and he is listening into this conversation well boy howdy he's not the only one who's bugged the room as red hood is also listening in yeah they both have the same like at this point you just even as a even as a like a, a new a casual a newer fan, viewer viewer yeah, well, a new a newer fan in general who hasn't read the story about it or heard about the story otherwise they're going to be like oh Okay, well, this is clearly the other Robin because he's doing all the things that Batman's taught him to do. But throughout all this starts just uh, the golden treasure of Black Mask lines, and he is just going absolute ape shit, and he's just right back to calm, no problem. He's like, listen, this red foot, red hood, whatever, he's dead. And he's totally like, He's so nice to the new kid. He's like, hey, relax, buddy. You're good. He's like, oh, maybe you stare. I gotta cut your eyes out. And then slugs him one. Says, okay, let's get back into things. He seems to be an efficient boss. A nice guy when it comes to it. But he's still pretty much a Damian Wayne of crime bosses uh, at that time period. So he needs to get things done. He needs to know about this shipment going on. And that's when the hood and the bat get all the details they need. So that way the hood can you know, do a heist on Mask, then Batman and Nightwing can show up to stop the Hood from doing his heist on the Mask, and it just becomes a whole other thing on its own. Yeah, Red Hood does start uh, his plan as he goes and steals a motherfucking helicopter. The way he does it, though, is just so, like, he got that many people, tied their limbs up together, threw all their coats over it to make it look like they were standing there with their weapons armed and everything, and only one guy approaches the helicopter. You don't think to have, like, a gun pointed at the door or something like that for when Buddy gets on because not all of them are, you know, going to get this delivery at once. 
and well, shit just kind of falls apart. They're like, hey, buddy, Trojan horse and all that. Hooray! And uh, on his way just to make way with black masks, fridges, whatever the case he had in there. Um, Batman and Nightwing are also on the scene. I mean, what are the chances of you run, to, run into everybody you know? Just all in that same spot. And we'll get right into the chase scene uh, as they're stopping the helicopter right after this commercial break. All right, and we're back. We are back. We are back. Fucking Nightwing shoots the engine of the helicopter with like an EMP. You know what I miss about rolling with you? The toys. And uh, he's got a good point because the, this bad boy completely shuts down the helicopter from ascending any higher, going any further. So um, the only place that uh, Hood can go is down. And that's where he desperately takes to. He... Uh, that line there about the toys. Every time I watch this movie, every time I hear that line, all I can think of is in Mallrats when Jay and Silent Bob are escaping LaFours and the security guards and they get trapped. And they're trying to figure out what to do. First, Silent Bob pulls out a blow-up doll. Then he pulls out a vibrating finger. Then he's got the little bat belts with the grappling hook and <laughs> swings them up. And Jay just looks at him and goes, where do you get such wonderful toys? And gives him a kiss on the cheek. That's what that line that. always reminds me of. That is, a, that is a good thing to look back to. <laughs> That's amazing. I I enjoyed Mallrats a whole lot, and uh, def that definitely reminds me to watch over it again. Um, it, it was a fantastic scene. It was a, a great use in relativity to the introduction to, you know, using the back grappling hook in a live-action movie. That was immense. Well, yeah, just Nightwing using that line reminded me of that. But hey, the helicopter's falling. Nightwing's using a giant stapler that he pulled out of his wrist. Where the yeah, Why where did he get that? He literally pulled it out of his wrist gauntlet. Like, how? Yeah, why would you carry a stapler around with you? Nope, dark side's here. I better take up my handy-dandy fucking stapler. Ouch. Stop that, human. No, I'm crinkling your outfit, and you know whether you like it or not? You're gonna have tight titties. Stop. My nipples will shave. Yeah, fucking random Deadpool pouch stapler. Right? Like, and, and it fucking works! Liefeld must have been, like, having a heyday when that movie came out. He's like, they remembered me! It, it doesn't, the stapler works! It does, yeah. Well, of that, course, it's a bat stapler. Not only that, Bruce is uh, descending along with the helicopter, utilizing a much larger uh, grappling equipment to be able to hold on to the helicopter, hold on to the wall, and um, as the cable from the top is, you know, being yanked along with the helicopter, the staples are trying their damnedest to hold them in place. A couple of them go, a couple of them are uh, sticking around, but not so well, and uh, they just barely manage to save, like, a, a good chunk of people's lives from uh, descending helicopter debris. Yeah, the creators of the Marvel Spider-Man PS4 game must have loved that idea. Right. Oh, absolutely. I, I love that concept in the video game, being able to web up cars like that. Oh, just a great game. Uh, however, uh, this starts our chase now between Batman and Nightwing chasing down the Red Hood. 
what a badass chase scene this is, too. Uh, he's giving them the complete runaround. He's using all kinds of athletics and uh, means to dodge and escape them, utilizing crafty tricks, um, just uh, psych outs and large distances and heights to jump from. It, it's, a, it's a grand chase scene. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, he seemed to be one step ahead of Batman and Robin during this chase the entire time. Uh, being able to outflank them, uh, deke them out, uh, know exactly when to shoot bullets up at them. But most importantly, he's able to cut Batman's grapple line with a single swing of his blade. Before it goes taut, um, before it binds him entirely. And what's even more so, again, the powerful material that the grapple lines and uh, just overall equipment is made of is quite difficult if not impossible for you know even um, somebody with as much athleticism and uh, just an overall skill as the red hood has but he just cuts right through it and that is an amazing feat to have yeah now you know uh, batman and nightwing are realizing all this as they look it over on the bat computer back at home um batman essentially says to nightwing look i'm shelving you you're injured yeah, um, they went into um, they went into a bit of a trap by accident going into the train station. Turns out that gunfire was um, a primary cause to lead Batman into chasing him into the train track setup going on there. But um, Red Hood's a crafty devil, of course, so he has bombs set up all over the damn place. And um, just as that beeping starts reaching the critical point, you know, he's all like trying to rush to get out of there. So they were lucky to make it out of there alive on that one. Um, the Red, Red Hood also uses a train to disguise his getaway. Yeah, and he was saying something before he had taken off to him, but it, of course, for dramatic purposes, cut off at the last bit. So, of course, back at the cave, going over all these different familiarities, various parts of the footage, just to see if there's something, some minor detail Bruce can't latch on to. And uh, he is, of course, discussing things over with uh, the injured Nightwing, who, he, again, he benches, sends him home, um, and uh, then coming into the spot Not, not where... just sends him home, but actually shows some emotional support towards him, where he takes a moment and says... Thank you. Oh yeah, he does. He thanked he thanked somebody, and that was apparently a huge deal. It, that that was enough for Nightwing to go okay. If he's <laughs> thanking, he's got this. Yeah, he's like looks at Alfred and goes, "Did he just thank me?" Yes, sir. He thanked you. It's incredible stuff. Yeah, you know we had to make mo mention of that moment. Uh, <coughs> But from there, Bruce gets back to work. He's looking at this clip uh, with the whole see you around or whatever it is before the train takes off. But Batman's able to isolate the audio and hear that the Red Hood knows that Batman's real name is Bruce. This is what he puts it together. That's got to be Jason. Bum, bum, bum. <coughs> We do, of course, get that um, looming um, scene just with the, the costume there and the glass there. It's just sitting there like, yeah, bet you forgot about me, the old suit. Well, I'm here. I'm back. 
Yeah, this month we start getting a, a couple of flashback scenes. Uh, one is with Jason as a younger child. Uh, he's more innocent, more playful, as they're taking down the Riddler, complete with his <laughs> riddle. Hey, Riddler, what's green and purple with red and yellow all over it? It's uh, you after I kick your sorry butt. And that was a, it, it's clever uh, for a, for uh, Jason going in there. He clearly fit the role needed as Robin very well. Until his later years, which, of course, uh, this um, flashback transitioned into, um, you know, it seems to be some form of, like, smuggling setup going on there. And Jason's all cocky about his attitude, but he doesn't hesitate to really put the hurt down on people. Oh, no, he uh, breaks a man's collarbone, setting him into shock, uh, making him useless for the interrogation. Yeah, like... He's mocking them, he's beating them all down, and this one guy in particular just had, like, a mega hurt coming on, and he put him down hard, and in which case, it put him in a condition where Batman doesn't have access to the information he needs readily available, like, readily available to him, and that's a problem in regards to how they're supposed to be operating. Now, he does apologize for his actions, uh, but... Uh, as we know from last week's uh, Under the Red or Death in the Family, uh, that is when there was a giant split between the two, and what led Robin to be showing up uh, in our opening scene to begin with. But none of that's even mentioned in this. So good no. on uh, last week's film for introducing some new subplots to the story. Yeah, that is uh, that is true. It's very smart and very efficient in regards to each and every different direction that the story has taken. It's um, been like a great foundation for it. So going into going into this film's rendition of it, there'll be detail of it a little later on. But like as for last week, though, it just seems to have more relativity to each angle. Uh, well, whichever angle you want to take, Black Mask wants him dead. Oh my god, yeah, and he is losing it worse than ever. Um, the fact that the Red Hood isn't dead um, is just icing on his stress cake, I guess. Uh, like uh, He's losing more equipment and more money, and now that leads him to hilariously and passive-aggressively restating how dead he wants Red Hood. Like He wants him battered, beaten, bruised, his head mounted on his wall kind of dead. Yeah, he wants him dead, deader than dead. And when there's a situation where the Red Hood shows up, there's going to be a party. And by party, he means there's going to be a whole lot of guys who are going to kill him. Well, when there's trouble, you call DW, but that's not the case here. No, and anybody with a gun in Gotham is pretty much beckoned by the Black Mask for this one. It's uh, pretty much a bounty game now for these people. Oh, yeah, it looks like some of the top lowlifes, including Kyle Smith, will all be on the job. Absolutely, as he decides to shake things up and bring the fight to the Red Hood instead of just waiting for him to strike first. and um, Which is actually pretty smart, because it starts dividing his attention and his resources, so Hood has to take to certain locations himself. I don't know if there's like a pecking order for that, like who comes first above all else, but um, I guess you follow the money for that one. But uh, 
they seem to be tackling uh, various uh, establishments and territories rather aggressively. Gunfire, um, just a mugging, overall violence on uh, Red Hood's people from Black Mask. Yeah, until Hood does start to retaliate, uh, leaving himself open to some super assassins. Absolutely. All that was going on was that a couple of guys were dragging uh, this beaten... Um, beating black dude around and it turns out so so you're telling me a couple of guys that were up to no good started making trouble in his neighborhood he got one little fight and the back got scared he said uh, we don't even care that you work for the red hood and they start lighting up a molotov cocktail and this guy he isn't just some random thug though he's, like he's the east quarter drug trade leader uh tyler bradford and he is going to be made an example of by being by sending Red Hood a message. Well, that cocktail immediately turns into a fiery shower as a, a bullet just goes flying through the cocktail, spilling all over Buddy, setting him ablaze, and he's like, "Okay, hey, I'm here. What up?" And like Jay said, super assassins. That's what's up. Yeah. Uh... You know, he does start to hold his own against these super assassins momentarily. Uh, but the four-on-one advantage does uh, take control before he is joined by the Batman. He knew he was coming along because he knew that these four had to have been sent somewhere. It's all a matter of where they're going. And uh, where they're going depends on who's paying them and who makes the order for it. So following that path, it led him straight over to the fearsome four. Um, Better than calling him Fearsome Hand of Four. It's a just long Fearsome Four. It just makes so much more sense. Um, but Jason put up a... The Fatal Four in this one. Oh my god, that would be a nice one too. I like that. So, going up against the Fatal Four as one individual was one thing. Um, Red Hood really put on a fantastic fight against these people. But things just like really heat up when he's joined by Batman. And you see more relativity in regards to the history of Batman and Robin when it comes to their teamwork going up against this team of super assassins. Each of them with uh, an enhancement in their own right, and uh, each of them with a fighting style probably different from the others. And it's just one great action-packed scene where we get to see the hero and the anti-hero interact in this movie that's primarily revolved around why being the villain is the right thing to do in Gotham. Well, uh, with one villain left, uh, well, first off, the female of the group, Flato takes a headbutt from the Red Hood's motorcycle-enhanced helmet... Uh, straight oh, onto yeah. like the skin of her skull, right at the crown. She had to have a broken skull after that. Yeah, she. <laughs> she she did like the worst hit of the entire fight. The poor thing, just a flat out. Some dude comes up and just bam, headbutts your shit with a motorcycle helmet on. That's hard as fuck, especially from a dude trained by Batman. Well, they do get down to the last assassin, the one with the ocular blasts. Uh, he's pretty sure he's got the drop on the Red Hood. Batman's got a taser, and he's like, you know what? If you tase me, you'll tase both of us. Red Hood's like, I'm pretty sure that's what he was looking to do as he sticks this taser into the laser eye. <coughs> and dude becomes taser face. Oh my god, he just stuck it right inside like the lens part there so it's not even hitting any dangerous surfaces that could electrocute jason 
and it just keeps revving up and going because he's keeping the current on a constant flow and his head just fucking splattered all over the pavement. It was just fantastically violent. Yeah, Batman is not happy about this. Uh, however, Jason uses a, a smoke bomb trick. <laughs> smoke bomb! And disappears. Uh, until Batman realizes, hey, the uh, the sword of one of the assassins actually cut the Red Hood. There's a little blood on this. I'm going to take it to the Batcave, have it analyzed. And lo and behold, we have confirmation that the Red Hood is Jason Todd. You could already start to sense the tension between the two, and that just led Bruce to believe further that it was Jason Todd without having to use scientific evidence. Um, with that powerful conversation they had before Jason dipped on him in the park there, um, things just kept getting closer and closer, and actually reading the proof itself, just saying, yeah, man, these guys are one and the same. And now for Alfred to just be walking in on this, all oh, that man. shock he must have felt. Yeah, dropping the tray of tea and goodies. Of course he did, because why would he have anything to relate it with this? That's his favorite palette, so if he drops it, you know shit hit the fan. Right? Well, uh, you know, the shock overtakes him. As uh, we see, Red Hood uh, has blown up some of Mask's guns. He not only took the equipment from the gangs, but instead of <laughs> redistributing them, he destroyed them. Oh, yeah. And this is just the marvel, the, the turning point of his temper. I have never been so happy to see a villain so angry in my life. Yeah, this just infuriates him to no end. Uh, if if there was a red ring anywhere in the sector, it would have went to the Black Mask. Oh, yeah. But the guy needs to cool down. He needs to get on a level... He needs to get on, like, a level-headed mindset with everybody else. And what better way to do that than fucking knock out everybody else as he goes by his, his men one by one and just starts slugging the fuck out of them. They all drop, like... You can tell by these grunts, this isn't just a, okay, let the boss get this out of his system and that be that late. He's devastating these giants with single blows, and it's scary stuff. He's angry as hell, and he has that kind of strength to him. Why doesn't he just go wring their necks himself? So they got grappling hooks. Okay, once they come in close, just grab a hold and just crush their windpipe. Well, it doesn't really uh, matter anyway, uh, because it's bazooka time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Black Mask gets on his tirade, gets looking out his window. There's a laser pointer on him. <laughs> He's all uh, concerned that the world is against him. And, well, when the world came a-knocking, uh, he was right. Um, as opposed to Death in the Family, we got a little different variation for this one. Um Red Hood is just waving to him because he knows that Black Mask just spotted him. He knows what's going down. Something He's going to f- start firing at him, but he only needs to fire once. Yeah, there's no beheading in this one. No uh, human torch-like explosions. Uh, Black Mask is able to get through the hallway and duck that flying door just in time. What instills him with even more fear than just the adrenaline of what happened just uh, the fact that he almost died is the fact that 
he's dealing with somebody that the Batman can't take care of on his own. And that's genuinely scary in the DC universe is if Batman can't bring you down on his own, then there's a real problem here. Um, going into that mindset, uh, I don't even think I would remain conscious. I would just faint at this point because that's some scary superhero bullshit right there. Uh, from there, we do cut into Arkham Asylum. Uh, we see, you know, uh, a guard coming in to do the rounds. Uh, hey, he's there on his day off. He's filling in for somebody who's out sick with the flu. And he wants to do something early because he's bored. Well, it's not protocol. Well, if it's not protocol, then you should have just left it alone and gone and just dicked around somewhere until it was time to. That's pretty much just like ensuring that you have free recess time to waste and be paid for. No, you want to do the right thing and start your work early and shit. Well, look where that got you, pal. Yeah, I, uh, I, you know, a wet work style team comes in, takes them out completely. Uh, turns out that they have bribed the guards inside the booth for an opportunity. Oh my god. Uh, and that opportunity is to free none other than the Joker. They've come to collect their package, but even they leave a hilarious first impression because they gun this janitor ass look, looking motherfucker down and he's just like sorry schedule's a key he just says it so nonchalantly it's hilarious and then following up with yeah well one um yeah yeah we did two um we're paying you a ton and so three shut your gob and open the damn door like these aren't legit reasons for anything <laughs> he's just like yeah well well, my red crayon's more redder than your red crayon. My dad can beat up your dad. <laughs> exactly <laughs> that. And it's just the funniest shit ever. He's just like, I don't give a fuck. And they just proceed on. They get their package and, you know, out of Arkham they go. Uh, from there we cut into uh, the Wayne, outside of Wayne Manor, where Bruce apparently has his own backhoe. And he is digging up the grave of Jason Todd. Absolutely. He still needs that little bit of extra proof there because for all we know, this guy could be so clever. He's planting spots just to fuck with Bruce's head. But right now, the only thing fucking with Bruce's head is Bruce. But he needs to know for sure. So he digs up the body and he opens up the coffin and to uh, at least Alfred's relief, there's a body in the coffin. Yeah, and Bruce is like, what are you talking about? This isn't him. It's obviously a dummy, as the body hasn't decomposed in the five years. That's a dead giveaway right there. So, of course, he immediately knows, yeah, no, this is a fake. I cannot, like, <coughs> of course you're not going to think about looking the day of and shit. Like, this kid just died, and it was a huge impact on the DC Universe for all of its heroes. So, of course, everybody's handling it in their own unique way, and clearly... It's, for some reason, normal to go checking the coffins of dead bodies just to make sure they're dead bodies. Like, uh, how is that careless and stupid? Like, this young boy just died in front of you, and you're concerned with that. Well, this is when, you know, Bats is now completely fueled by his own anger. Oh, yeah, because he knows exactly where to go when it comes to uh, situations and healing near-death experiences, or, uh, in this case, death itself. 
Uh, and this is when we cut into a uh, a meeting going on between the Joker and his new benefactor, the Black Mask. Absolutely. Joker seems to be the only one with the right caliber to be able to handle the likes of Batman and this newcomer, the Red Hood. He needs his uh, psychotic sense of chaos to be able to deal with this new anti-hero. So he lays off of uh, uh, Black Mask's, uh, you know, criminal empire, as it were. It's hard to be held as number one when all of your shit keeps getting destroyed or stolen on you. Uh, this one, you get the clear shot of the Joker inmate number of the 11940. Uh, but... You know, we get one confrontation between these two, and then we get another one between Batman and Raish himself. Oh my god, this is, this, really quick, this interaction with the Black Mask of the Joker is like, after explaining he needs somebody to, of this caliber to do it, he goes forth and is all like, yeah, you know what, I'm just thirsty, I'm eating all these chips, I got dry mouth. No, I'm just kidding, bro. I just needed a glass so I could kill everybody here. Let me borrow this. Bang, bang, bang. And that's pretty much his resume. And he just makes the weirdest requests. And again, it's back to more of that brilliant-ass dialogue. He's like, oh, and I'm going to need some guys. But not these ones, because they're kind of dead. Uh, again, you know, just making comedy gold from the Joker perspective. But yeah, we go right back to the house of the demon's head. Um, and... Uh, you can all guess who's headed on his way there, and in a strut at that, like, he just found out the most desecrating and disastrous news the hard way regarding uh, the likes of Jason Todd. And, uh, you know, Raish does just openly confess to him exactly what happened. He had hired the Joker to be a distraction, and uh, simply put, the Joker went off plan and took it too far. Yeah. Um, because of some random clown o dude being able to punch Batman in the face once that somehow means there was enough time and capability to kidnap Robin from 10 feet away from him. What the crap is that about? Yeah, Raish had never planned for Robin to even be part of this. But there it is being shown as um, the Joker utilizing the kidnapping of Robin as part of the plan for it. And it's just so messed up because... If one clown punches Batman in the face, he's going to be like, oh shit, a clown punched me in the face. Where are you going with Robin? Ass is kicked. Bad guy stopped. Jason Todd doesn't get beaten to death. Joker's done and that's it. Hooray. Well, the guilt of what happened uh, does sit with the demon's head uh, as a father and parent himself. Uh, so he had set up to swap the body of Jason with that wax dummy that we saw. So he could insert him into the Lazarus pit. It was uh, during a time, I believe, when uh, Razzle Gould wanted uh, Bruce Wayne to marry his daughter in regards to keeping the lineage of the demon's head uh, intact and a constant flow of generations to come. Um, so, of course, he would do anything and everything he could for him, including return, um, giving back what he had once lost. But it's not like he he's giving anything back. He's just, you know trying to help get like renew Jason's life. So Bruce doesn't go through the grief and he gets his surrogate son back uh, just as a means of apology. Like, Hey, sorry. I tried to topple government, topple governments by hiring a psychotic clown. Oh, by the way, here's your dead son back. 
Well, you know, uh, for once, Raish's heart is in the right place here. Uh, although the Lazarus Pit does drive him mad, uh, and even Talia Al Ghul tries to shoot him. Well, yeah, because Jason was dipped in there um, after you know his soul had left that plane, so it's pretty much taking uh, his soul wherever it was when he had officially passed on and pulling him screaming back towards the land of the living. So he is taking all that um, immense just like planar shift and applying that to his strength. He's losing his mind that he barely has any control of. And he just dip sets, you know, putting down a couple of people along his way. But Roz wanted no harm to come to the boy who had just, you know, slaughtered a couple of his guys so freely. Uh, This is actually when we start getting a touching moment between Bruce and Alfred as they just start to reminisce about the person Jason was and what happened. Because that's the best way to look at him. Um, because uh, regardless of how that visit would have turned out, regardless of um, if Bruce and Alfred saw two different sides of the same coin on this one, it's still better to focus on the fact that, you know, it wasn't Bruce's fault at all. Um, this shit has its risks, and Bruce knows that to start. So if anything... It's just a matter of, like, Lazarus madness, really. I wouldn't even consider anything a fault at this point. Well, we will get into what happens next as soon as we get back from our next commercial break. Alright, we are back, and uh, there's a confrontation going down on the Gotham Bay. Uh, Jim Gordon's actually on the scene. Just after uh, Bruce had left and... You know, wherever Ra's al Ghul was holed up on. I don't even know where he's located at. Um, but as soon as he left and that meaningful conversation had taken place, Alfred had uh, pretty much barked at Bruce to switch over to the media feed and check out what's going on. And uh, that leads over to the Joker having uh, such a show going on right now. He seems to have a truck turned sideways, and uh, he's got all the police attention going on there. And what's... Uh, really bothersome is that especially to them is that he's out of arkham that is just a whole new pro- kind of problem for these guys nowadays is being able to keep clowns in the sane asylums it's madness well uh joker has red hood's gang uh all tied up in the back of a uh, truck and he's pouring some gasoline on them absolutely and uh He's about to douse him up in flames, I guess. This is his calling card method of trying to get a hold of the Red Hood to come out and play with him. And when the Red Hood does show up, uh, Joker... Now, we all know Joker, in some continuities, was a failed comedian. He wasn't funny. He wasn't good at being funny. He reuses a joke. He tells the exact same, uh, I was more classy Mater D than motorcycle fetish joke that he told earlier. And uh, that is um, one of the higher points of stress for a new comedian at that, especially one of his caliber, you know, having to tell the same joke twice and live through the embarrassment of a live crowd that may or may not be there. (coughs) Wild stuff. Yeah, this is uh, when, you know, Joker not getting the reaction he wanted decides to set his audience on fire by dropping a Zippo. Uh... Now, this is a common trope you see in media, the whole lighting of the Zippo lighter and then dropping it. I've owned Zippo lighters. I've tried whole just lighting it and then dropping it to the ground. 
It went out every time. Every time. Every time. And you're just dropping it from standing position? Just standing yeah. position. Not raining out or anything? No. That's so weird. Why does it get to work for them but never for us? I don't know. You know, back in my supervillain days, I wanted to see if it would work for me, but it didn't. No, I hear you. It's so hard to dramatize certain things nowadays without being able to drop a Zippo. Well, uh, it doesn't really work as well as Joker planned, as Batman does show up with uh, the bat fire repellent, spraying it out all over the place. Oh, absolutely. Joker and Red Hood have gotten their whole egging each other on, and, and by the time there's a flame to, you know, start up, I'm guessing the Joker was doing all that on purpose, just so we could have the attention of the Red Hood before enacting the action of burning all of his gangmates alive. Well, of course, it's always about the attention and the spotlight. And hey, speaking of spotlight, Black Mask is there too, how about that? A little guy came out for a visit. Well, uh, Batman is able to use a bat line and puts it around the Joker to nab him. Uh, <laughs> Red Hood goes along for the ride and, for, uh, you know, same kind of tether that he uses for the other grapnels, uses that knife again and cuts right through it. And he drops into the water with the Joker, swimming off with him. Uh, leaving Batman with a message, meet me in Crime Alley. Uh, how we managed to do all that and swim away with the Joker, that's huge. Well, you know, he would know the frequency for the Batplane's radio just to tune his helmet to it. Oh, absolutely. But being able to find the time just to kind of swim off somewhere, stop, have a breather, and then spit all that out to him. You don't think there'd be some kind of rebreather system in the helmet for when he's underwater? I don't think so. Because it's not like he plans for any of his adventures to actually be underwater. True, this early on. Maybe nowadays Red Hood would have that, but early on, maybe not. Yeah, it all depends on how Batman he's feeling. Well, uh, you know, we do get over to Crime Alley, and Red Hood has a crowbar of his own. And he is giving the Joker a little trip down memory lane. Oh, absolutely. He's uh, he's all flustered. He's super excited for the party that he's going to have with this Red Hood fella, thinking that they're going to gang up together, or they're going to do some devious shit together. And uh, the party turns sour right quick as uh, he wants to do truth or dare. But the dare this time around isn't um, very, very welcoming or very comfortable. No, uh, it, you know, it, a hit with the crowbar. Yeah, he should have went for Truth. Yeah. Well, I gather that Truth would have probably landed him in the same spot anyway. Well, Batman does show up parking the plane on top of two buildings. And starts having himself some flashbacks of uh, when Jason stole the wheels off the Batmobile. Truly an amazing feat for a boy of his young age. Uh, regardless of who taught him to do that off of such advanced vehicles um, or what kind of lessons he was being taught as he was growing up. Um, Jason certainly was a prodigy of his age. Uh, this is when he actually does show up and we have ourselves a gadget fight. The fancy little toy fight and things really pick up there. I mean, um, the fight in the comic between uh, Bruce and Jason was absolutely monumental. But uh, this time around, seeing it animated, being put into various cuts, it, it's just fantastic. It's a dream come true for us. Uh, some great maneuvers being pulled here during the fight. Uh, the one I thought was particularly interesting and fun 
was he knew his knife was tougher than Batman's fabrics. So he stuck it through the cape onto the roof, pinning him in place, opening him up for a few shots. Yeah, wasn't that just creative, eh? Being able to take that knowledge and uh, retain it out into an area where your head's being beaten in by this, like, Goliath-fisted mammoth. Yeah, he even uses, uh, he knows that one of Batman's greatest tools is the utility belt and is able to, you know, just pop it off using the blade. Fireworks! Uh, this is when, you know, they make their way into a apartment bathroom that's been abandoned and Batman just goes fucking ham on him. Oh, yeah. He disciplined the shit out of him, that's for sure. He messed with his bat stuff, and Bruce just finally had it. Jason was the first bat child to receive his wrath for touching his bat stuff without his permission. Yeah, this is a brutal beatdown uh, until, you know, we we get the situation. Not the Jersey Shore guy, but Jason opens a closet door and goes, Why didn't you kill this motherfucker? Oh yeah, it's all fun and games until somebody gets thrown through a wall, in which case he goes on about, yeah, Bruce, you know what, I forgive you for not saving my life, but why didn't you at least kill the villain that you know you, I know full well that you swore an oath to not do? Like, why would you go against your, why wouldn't you go against your vow for me? And uh, coming to realize the importance of that vow that Bruce had made is exactly what makes Batman Batman. Yeah, it, it, it's a great point as well. The, you know, didn't you care about me enough to get your revenge for what he did, for what he's capable of doing, what he continues to do? It's a, it's a great question to consider, but, you know, Batman can't go down that line. He can't, you know, sink down to the same level as... Um, just as the criminal element he fights all the time. Uh, you know, from there, uh, Jason, like, you're going to make this decision. I'm going to put a gun to the Joker's head. I'm going to put a gun in your hands. You shoot me or I shoot him. Batman's just all like, dude, no, that's dumb. I'm out. And he just casually turns his back on him and starts dipping. He's like, bro, I'm done fighting for you, man. Yeah, this is when you can see that, you know, maybe Jason never truly intended to shoot the Joker to begin with. It's just having a hissy fit. Yeah, because as Batman walks away, he doesn't shoot the Joker. He goes to shoot Batman in the shoulder. Yeah. Uh, Batman is able to duck this and in one swoop clog the barrel with a batarang, meaning when he goes to take that second shot, the gun backfires in his hand. Yeah, it shouldn't have been firing off those cocky-ass warning shots. Uh, you know, Jason's hand is completely mangled and fucked up. Uh, but he's able to use his good hand to hit a dead man switch. He's rigged the building with bombs. 20 seconds until everybody just goes fucking broom. What a long time to give them. Yeah, I know. I mean, unless you're all, like, thriving to kill each other in there before you leave, then okay. You know, what happened to the good old classic five? Five, four, three, two, one count, and, you know. Yeah. 
just that desperation Batman 20 move. seconds is a lot of time to give Batman. Yeah, you shorten it down to five seconds, so he has no choice but to take Jason and dip. Oh, it's just the Joker. He'll be back to, in two months. But instead, it gives him 20 seconds, so Batman goes to stop the bombs. Joker stops Batman going, no, 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 we're all dying tonight. The only one who's getting their way today is me. Yeah, um, after the astonishing revelation that the person that was beating Joker to death with a crowbar was the same Robin that he had murdered like five five years ago yeah uh batman is able to do his best but the building still goes uh joker survives the explosion uh we get no scene of the red hood no he just seemed to have dipped he just felt like he didn't need to be there anymore and we get batman in the cave having one last flashback of young jason todd Staring back at the uh, Robin suit that had been hanging there, the one that Jason had worn, and just overall reflecting on what it represented, on what Jason was, what Bruce brought him up to be, who he brought him up to be. Yeah, Alfred asked, you know, I take that down for you. And Bruce is like, no, leave it up there for what it still represents. Definitely. And we get into that whole, you know, Jason Todd's going out on patrol, I think, for his first time. And he is just psyched. Yeah, he uh, is playing the whole sneak-up game, pretending to be late just to try to get a rise out of everybody. Uh, It it was a shot of his old innocence that he had now lost uh, before we cut to credits. And as you said, no post-credits scene. You know, Batman had a very, like, that was probably the closest thing to, like, a father that Bruce Wayne would have probably had with any of the Robins in regards to how he acted. He treated him like a kid and stuff. He's like, hey, look at how cool I can sneak up on people. And Batman's like, come on, amateur. And, you know, just messing around with him, goading him on for improvement. I thought that was really cool. Uh, Overall, like you said, this is one of the top-tier DC animated films. Uh... Oh, yeah. One of the primary bits that got me up there, like what really got me up there, I've been mentioning it throughout the review, was the presence of uh, Black Mask. We know full well what, you know, usual crime lords can be like when they're upset and they have that agitated voice. This version of the Black Mask was monumentally, like, stressed out. Like, this dude was wigging out like he actually owned a business and he was being, like, undermined by... um, other like deviants and vagabonds and shit and these people were out to legit ruin his business and that's how he's acting like he's the angriest neighbor guy he is supremely just pissed off 24 7 but he knows full well how to handle the likes of gotham city so they just put this hypnotically dramatic voice behind black mask and they turned him into a terror all in a vocal form He's been doing funny bits and he's been doing like just overall, you know, usual mobster leader stuff, but seem seemingly more realistic and scary, which was totally badass for this film. And uh, thus it got me to respect Black Mask as a villain a lot more than I had beforehand. He's one of those guys I didn't much see highly. I just saw him as a dude, another like weird B-lister in a, in a mask was all just a just a dude who's like, oh, look at the Halloween costume I put on. Now I can be a criminal. 
but he really proved himself to be way more than that, and that's that's one of the bigger parts of the film I enjoyed. Overall, Sean, uh, what did you enjoy about the film? Overall thoughts on it going out? It was all right. Um, it went a little fast for me when you're trying to fill out uh, or like write down. The... It, it is one of a fast-paced film. Uh, fast it, it's pace. not a very long film. Uh, it probably could have done with an extra ten minutes. Just to help fill yeah. out some exposition. As long as those ten minutes were all John DiMaggio telling bad joke, like bad jokes. Well, some more exposition for the characters uh, to flesh them out. Uh, maybe show what Red Hood was up to in between. Show him camped out. Maybe show some things from his point of view. Absolutely. Yeah, that would be good. And since made um, apparent recently back then, I don't know why they didn't take it into consideration to uh, mention Barbara beforehand. That would have been like a just a monumental touchdown on uh, the importance of the losses that uh, the Bat family has taken. Yeah, I'm going to take him out for what he did to me, what he did to you, what he did to Barbara. Exactly that. And it would have seemed uh, a lot more uh, justified as opposed to just, you know, the raving plan of a madman to get revenge. Like now, they do make uh, good on that, of course, in last week's film, Death in the Family, the... Uh, interactive animated film contest is still open nobody has yet uh, sent me a tweet at clowny j uh showing that they have made a contribution towards uh, go hard pro uh you know first two people to send five dollar minimum and you can win yourself a copy a digital copy of this film from either myself or from holden albright We've got two copies to give away. We're still waiting to give them both away. Contest is still open. Uh, if you hadn't uh, gone and listened to the previous podcast before, go ahead and give it a listen so that we can check out our review of Death in the Family and our interview with Holden Albright. That includes um, how you can get involved with uh, contributing uh, to this project, uh, how you can uh, better help the less fortunate, help uh, you know put a wrestling show into play, and um, overall be able to benefit with a free copy of a newly released movie. Not to mention that it comes along with four animated shorts within it, and all for even as low as a contribution of five dollars. Uh, that can go like a long way for anybody. Uh, you benefit, they benefit, everybody walks out so happy because of uh, this idea. So go ahead, uh, um, you know, you can always uh, contact him, uh, contact him, uh, Holden, on uh, Twitter as well. Um, at Holden Pro, I believe it is. I believe it is at Holden Pro on Twitter. Fantastic. And of course, as he mentioned, you can contact Clowny J on Twitter at Clowny J. Um, if you have any questions or in need of any additional detail. But aside from that, go look them up. Go grab that detail and uh, how you can help. And be part of something bigger. And uh, get a free movie while you're at it. Now, this is normally when we'd start to wrap things up. Drop in all of our social medias and all that. But... Motherfucker, Mize, you're halfway through Swamp Thing, finally. Yeah, I finally got around to uh, watching it. Uh, I was hanging out with uh, Jane and Shauna not too long ago, and um, they put on Swamp Thing. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be that Swamp Thing show. It's probably going to be like a majority of uh, support characters. And I'm going to see none of this dude whatsoever, except for little stints of him running by in the forest and little uh, CGI vines all the time. In which case, everything was perfectly balanced out. So far, I am very impressed with the casting inclusion of characters. Uh, I cannot wait to see where the rem 
remaining episodes take me for this season. But uh, as it stands right now, just from what I've been watching, this is a show that definitely needs to keep going, or at least um, a good portion of uh, the characters' environment development uh, to be taken along with them to, you know, just further better the series or whatever other um, superhero outleted TV shows have to offer. Uh, this is definitely a great direction and uh, shouldn't have been canceled or cast aside for any reason. So uh, if, if you hadn't watched, started watching Swamp Thing yet, definitely go into it. It's a different take on, um, you know, just the overall antics of your usual DC televised superhero. And uh, it goes into scarier notions. Definitely is horror movie based. Uh, but then you've also got these side characters that you never thought you'd see popping up. You got Xanadu, you got Liz Traymore, uh, the Phantom Stranger we were just introduced to on this watch. There's mention of the Rot, there's mention of the Conclave, and there's, uh, yeah, there's... Teases well, of the Nightmaster. Exactly that. Well-renowned, um, well-renowned names of the DC Universe, and a, cu- a couple of obscure ones to follow up with that. Uh, that's been a lot of fun there. Um, all I'm waiting on now is to see uh, any um, the night Jim or his daughter Liz uh, happen to pull out the sword and see where things go from there. Either that or give me a crime-solving monkey. Uh, well, unfortunately, we don't get either of those in this season. Uh, I will say you are still on a ride. We have got some more deep cuts to come. And we will talk about the back half of Swamp Thing on next week's episode as well. Uh, speaking of next week, hey, Shauna, what's next week's episode? Next week's episode is uh, the uh, Jack the Ripper. That's right. We are doing Gotham by Gaslight. The Ooh. Jack the Ripper Batman story for our Halloween special. I can't wait. It's huge stuff. Uh, not to mention just that... Uh, Material alone, uh, the Gotham by Gaslight Bruce also uh, made an appearance in the uh, Dark Knight's Metal original run way back when, when they just grabbed a handful of Batman to go take the war to the Batman who laughs. That was huge stuff. Yeah, so we are definitely looking forward to talking about that next week. Uh, Until then, uh, Shauna, where can the people find you? Uh... On Instagram, you it's sick little one. On uh, Twitter, it's uh, sick space hair, and on Facebook, I think it's just Shonem MC. Perfect, Mize. Where can they find you? Of course, you can always find me on Twitter at Mize one nine eight seven. Drop me a line. Uh, let me know any uh, points or uh, hidden bits you have to make uh, regarding any of our previous episodes. Always down for a chat. So tell me I'm right, tell me I'm wrong. Whatever, call me an idiot, send me a picture of your cat, whatever you like to do. You can also find me on Instagram uh, at OneManMice. Um, you can also follow my post by the hashtag OneManMice as well. And of course, uh, YouTube, I got a couple of uh, little Yu-Gi-Oh! videos up on there, uh, Mice Day for a Duel. I'm certainly hoping for uh, conditions to better up for the health environment, so that way I can uh, cover more action in the Yu-Gi-Oh! scene. It's something to do. Friendly little hobby there I enjoy a lot. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it for me. And of course, uh, Jay, people can, as always, just find you on Twitter at Clowny Jay, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. That is where to find me. Also, grab my t-shirt from whatamaneuver.net. Find my name in the drop-down. Pick yourself up a Clowny J t-shirt. It's the Halloween season, and what's better, what's more Halloween-y than my face? This is true. Your face 
on Halloween because Halloween is also wearing your face. That's right. For Halloween. Exactly. And folks, we will see you next week on our Halloween special. Looking forward to it. Until then, like the podcast, share with your friends, subscribe to it so you kept up to date with each and every episode as we drop Saturdays at 4.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. My friends, thank you for tuning in. Remember, wash your hands, wear your mask, social distance if you have to, get out and vote if you're one of our American friends. Uh, And until next week, folks, we will see you on the same pod time. The same pod channel as always. Yeah.